to all three of you who answered me, I'm glad you're here. You know, today's talk is one that I'm glad you're here for. Never in 24 years of pastoring have I ever used this passage on a Sunday morning. I get to break it in on you. So if you don't like this talk, then you can tell me after, the, after we're done, Darren, that one stunk, don't use it again. And we won't. <clears throat> but we're continuing our series, God is in my story. I got a couple of questions from some of the ladies in our church about this series. Darren, you've only done one lady in the whole course of the summer. You've talked about others, but only one. Well, today is your day, ladies. We are putting two of them together. The first one you've already heard about, my friend Flo read for you about our friend Deborah. And the second one is much more, we might say, close to who we are. Deborah was a prophetess. I don't know of any of them in our church. The other one, she had an unusual name, J.L., and J.L. was one that God used in a very powerful and specific way. What qualifications did she have, friends, to be used by God? She was a child of God and willing. That's it. A housewife, one who God put in the right place at the right time, just like you. In today's talk, we're going to explore some things, and my prayer is that God will use them in your heart, that he will draw you to a point of decision, a willingness to say, yes, Lord, I too will respond like Deborah and Jael. I will be led by your hand and will say yes to you. Maybe at the end of this talk, you'll want to come to this altar and spend some time in prayer You'll want to come forward and say, Darren, this was my word today. This was what God spoke to me. Pray now that God would make that heart, make that clear in your heart. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, as we open your word, may it open us. I pray, Lord, that it would be more than just an academic exercise where we acknowledge these things are true because they are in your word but rather it would be something that we say, Lord, this is like us. And because you use them, you can use us too. I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to find in your word hope, life, strength, peace, joy, and comfort. And I thank you today, Lord, that we can find that simply because it is your word. Do your work in us now, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Deborah and J.L., two godly women used at God's time. That's the story that we see in Judges 4. Let me just pause here to say this is my son's favorite Old Testament story. Forget David and Goliath. Forget Daniel in the lion's den. Forget the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. This one is the one that my son loves the best, and I think you'll see why. Let's lay the groundwork for a moment, shall we? Judges. We've come now out of the period of the conquest in Joshua, but we're not quite to First and Second Samuel, where the kings take over. There's this in-between period where we have the judges that are sort of the authorities over the nation of Israel. But there's a bigger problem, and that is that the people don't want to do what God has told them to do. They reject it. Frequently, often, they ignore it. They say God didn't really mean that. Does that sound familiar to anybody but me? 
Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. This is the testimony of the book of Judges. And it's no different in Judges chapter 4, verse 1. See it again with me, won't you? The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Ehud was a judge. He was the only left-handed judge that we have recorded. So if you're left-handed, here is your judge that you can latch on to and read his story back in Judges 3. And so what did God do? Did God take it laying down and say, well, people will be people, boys will be boys, girls will be girls? No. He said, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to try to draw them back to me by using discipline. I'm going to try to encourage them to realize who I am in their lives, who they need me to be, and so I'm going to take deliberate action. See it in verse 2. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hereshith Hegoyim. The people of God, the people of Israel, cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Here's the situation. For two decades, Sisera and his 900 chariots of iron have ruled mercilessly over the nation of Israel. 20 years. What were you doing 20 years ago? Think about that for a second. Some of you, it's not hard. You weren't here yet, and that's okay. But for others of us, we can remember oh too clearly where we were 20 years ago and what we were doing. This, friends, is the duration that they lived under the cruelty, the insanity of our friend Sisera. Now, what made these chariots so awful? Well, for one thing, they were iron. They were, in, in, uh, they, they were not uh, as vulnerable as some of the chariots made of wood. They, these were chariots that made a terrible sound when they rolled, and it was terrifying just to hear them coming. And the sheer numbers of them, 900 of them, caused people to quiver literally in their sandals. It was such that they were worried about what would be next. Into that moment where hope looks completely lost, steps verse 4. I want you to see verse 4 and just how abruptly things change. Now Deborah, and just like that we meet her. Now Deborah. We don't know anything about her before verse 4. She does not appear anywhere in the pages of Scripture before this. We don't know where she came from. We don't know her heritage. We only know she is the wife of Lapida and that she was a prophetess. Now, what qualified her to be that? Let's pause here and say the same thing we just sang about a minute ago. I am a child of God. Now, maybe you would say, I don't feel qualified to speak on God's behalf. Recognize that simply because you have life, and that God has given you a chance at rebirth, Christ, you are a vessel he wants to use. Uh, You might say, but I'm not educated, Darren. You know what? I say this as one who has spent a lot of my life in education, both as a student and as an instructor. Education isn't always what God needs. What he needs more than education is availability. I've known some incredibly intellectual individuals who were not available to the Spirit of God. They felt like they didn't need him. So, like Deborah, we don't know anything about her qualifications. We only know that she was willing. Now, let's pause here also to say 
that sometimes God shows up abruptly, doesn't he? Sometimes God does things his way, whether we choose it or not. I want you to think about when you were saved, if you were. And I want you to think about how abruptly God stepped into your life and how all of a sudden everything became clear and it was like somebody turned the lights on. And if you haven't had that moment, then let me encourage you today to ask God to do it in your life today. Because I want to tell you, that's what Jesus came to bring you, is light. Without him, you're in the dark. There's a big difference between walking in the light and the dark, isn't there? I want to encourage you today to recognize the same thing that Deborah did. Let's start with our notes right here. God whispers hope and deliverance into Deborah's heart. Into this moment, this moment starting in verse 4, things are about to change. Now, we don't know anything about why God chose Deborah. We don't know anything about why he allowed this to continue for so long. Was Deborah certain, suddenly available? Was, was there some sort of cataclysmic event that brought God to say, okay, 20 years is long enough? We don't know that. All we know is that God chooses this time to whisper hope and deliverance into the heart of Deborah. See it in verses 5 through 7. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The people of Israel came to her for her judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. These two people groups are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. She is commanding our friend Barak to gather an army. Now, let's pause here and say this sounds crazy. Has God ever told you to do something or called you to do something that sounded crazy? Well, if he hasn't, then let me encourage you to keep asking. Because this is what God does crazy things. Not only that, he uses crazy people who do, to do it. Because sometimes God has to convince us that we, we are indeed the people he chooses to use. Go gather your men, she says, and verse 7 is the kicker. I'll draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I'll give him into your hand. Here is the word of the Lord. The command is simple. Gather an army of 10,000, and I'll draw Sisera out with all of his forces, and you'll defeat him. Oh, uh, yeah. About that, Deborah. Before we get to Barak's response, let's pause here and say Deborah was in the right place at the right time. God spoke to her because she was willing and listening. She was in the right place spiritually. She was at the right time because God put her there. She was at the right place at the right time. Not only that, her instructions to Barak were clear. Go gather your army. Go take them to this specific spot, the river Kishon. Let's talk about where that is. If you were to look in the back of your Bible or in the front where the maps are, there's this little hump on the coast of Israel that goes up the coast and then has this little hump and then it goes up some more. 
at that little hump, if you were to draw an angle at about 35, 40 degrees down toward the River Jordan, that's, that's roughly what we call the Jezreel Valley. It's a wide spot, painted in, so to speak, by Mount Carmel on the north and the Jordan River Valley, uh, uh, north, northwest, that is, and the Jordan River Valley down on the southeast. This long stretch is a nice wide place for a battle. Maybe you know it by its other name, the Valley of Megiddo, or the site of the Battle of Armageddon. Yes, even now, some 3,500 years before today, that, battle, that ground was a battleground then too. Take your army and go there. Let's talk about Barak for a minute. Barak's fearful heart caused him to miss God's blessing. Now, verse 8 tells us a lot about Barak. He said to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you will not go, I won't go either. You ever been afraid? Even when God told you to do something? Even when you were sure this was the direction God had for you? Even when you knew God has this in mind for me? This, friends, is where we acknowledge that fear is our common foe. If you're not going, neither am I. It's understandable, isn't it? It's difficult at best to take God at his word sometimes and to run with it because, quite frankly, sometimes it sounds crazy. How can that be, God? That doesn't make any sense. Our logic defies the direction that you're giving us. How can we receive that? I'm afraid, God, I'm afraid. When God has declared something to be so, rest in that declaration more than your logic, even if it doesn't look like they match. Here's what I mean. Write this down in your notes. It's not listed there, but I want you to write it just the same. Our God is transcendent. Our God is transcendent. I want you to write that down and remind yourself of this regularly because what that means is that God stands above and outside of this physical world. He stands well beyond our understanding and well beyond our capacity. Our God is above all of this. We don't have to worry about that. Isn't that good to know that there's an author who stands above and outside of this natural world that we live in, that he has a sovereign hand over it, and he's giving leadership. Isn't that good news? It is to me. Because it means that I'm not just up to the forces of fate. I'm not just being driven by the wind. There is a God who is over it. And because our God is transcendent, here's where that word really gets interesting. He chooses to intervene in human affairs. He chooses to get his hands dirty and get down in the muck and the mire with us. Oh, this is good news, friends. It means that our fear must take a back seat to the transcendent God who sent us. So if you're in the middle of a situation where you're afraid, if you're in the middle of a situation where you feel like God has said something to you, but 
it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, then I want you to see our friend Barak and what it cost him. If you go with me, I'll go, but if you will not go, I won't either. Why don't you see Deborah's response and a missed blessing for Barak. Verse 9, she said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, this doesn't sound so awful in our culture. In fact, when I was praying through how to present this to you, there was a little bit of fear in my own heart that somebody might hear this and say, Darren is anti-women. No. I'm very much for God's created order of male and female. And I'm especially pro this woman over here. I'm going home with her, I hope. That's why I'm preaching this very carefully. You understand that, of course. But when Deborah says to Barak, I'm going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman, this would have been insulting. He would have been horrified. Really. It would have been unbelievable. They, they, they would have heard this and said, that doesn't make any sense. How can that be? That won't happen. Yet I want to tell you, when God declares something is so, indeed it is, whether we understand how or not. What we have to do is not allow ourselves to be driven along by the tides of fear and miss the blessing that God meant for us to have. When he hears this, in verse 10, Barak rises up and goes out and gathers his army. Now the, sh the sh scene shifts. Go over to verse 12 and following, won't you? When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his armies, called out all of his chariots, and they rose up together. Verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, For this is up, for this is the day in which God will give Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. I want you to see Sisera's arrogance and God's deliverance. You see, pride can and will destroy you. Let's be clear, my friends. Pride can and will destroy you. When Sisera hears what's happening, he starts licking his chops. He starts thinking, oh boy, I have them right where I want them. I'm ready to strike a decisive blow and get them. Little does he know what Barak has just been told. Does not the Lord go out before you? You see, Sisera gathers all of his forces, rakes all of his eggs into one basket, pushes all of his chips into the center of the table, saying, this is the moment that I will strike, and I will make a decisive blow. But I want you to see verse 14, the last part of it, and verses 15 and 16. And there you'll see Barak's arrival and God's deliverance. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera 
and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Heroshith Hagiim, Hagiim, and, and all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Let's be clear, friends, the battle was done before it even started. Now, if you jump forward into chapter 5, you'll see there's a song, a psalm, if you will, that tells the story about the battle. And in that song, here's what you'll find. The Lord sent a rainstorm. Now, the rainstorms there are different than the ones we have here. The rainstorms there are sudden, and they are hurried, and they are heavy, and many times it creates mud that lasts for days. Apparently, if we're to take chapters 4 and 5 together, what happened is the rain came, and those chariots made of iron were heavy, and they sunk in the mud and became sitting ducks. Could it be that God, in his wisdom, orchestrated the rain for his purposes at just the right time? I want you to see, friends, Barak's arrival and God's deliverance. This is what God does. When he shows up, it is his battle to fight. And he will use whom he uses. This time, Deborah and Barak. Oh, but the story's not over, my friends. Here you'll find Sisera's flight and Jael's vengeance, verses 17 to 23. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. There was peace between Jeb and the king of Hazor in the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael, Jael came out to meet him and said, Turn aside here, my lord. Turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. Now, when we hear that, we think of the living room rug, Right? And we think somebody putting a rug over them is like trying to hide them. Well, yes, but let's be clear. This rug was also like a quilt. Quilts. My sister is a quilter. And let me tell you, we have plenty at home to show you to prove such a thing. Quilters believe everyone is cold and they need more quilts. And so (laughs) praise the Lord for them. I'm not trying to mock them. I'm not trying to belittle them. I'm not trying to insult anybody there. I'm just saying that's what I've noticed about it, and it's a great thing. But I want you to see that's exactly what she does. She is trying to show him some kindness. But don't believe for a minute that it will stay that way. For we see in Sisera's story that he, the coward, meets Jael, the victorious housewife. Turn aside, she says. She covers him with a word. See it in verse 19. Please give me a little water, he says. And if any man comes to the door and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. Verse 21. This is the critical moment. You see, Cicero thinks he's safe. He's escaped the battle. He's run away. He's in the house of a housewife. What harm can befall him there? Yeah. You see, remember what I said a minute ago about God using whomever he will use, however he chooses to use it? It seems that God put two things in Jael's hands for just this moment. See it in verse 21. Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly, softly, 
to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you have never seen this story before? Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad to see that. So, this is one time when we acknowledge God used this moment and this person to accomplish his purposes. And praise the Lord, he did. You see, he thought he was safe, hiding as it were. He thought he was safe in her company. But little did he know that God's avenging, avenging angel was there in the room with him, disguised as a housewife. Could it be that God will use whom he will use? Could it be that God, in his wisdom, will declare such a thing as to be? And then the story continues, verse 22. Behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. Can I tell you today, my friends, God will use whom he will use. God's story is not reserved for a man or woman. It's for all of us. A couple of weeks ago, when we had our family meeting during Sunday school hour, one of our, one of our lovely ladies, I didn't ask her permission to call her out, so I won't, came to me after that meeting and said, Darren, you've never talked to us about women in ministry and women in the Bible, so I want to do that now. Now, this is part one. Tonight will be part two. I invite you to come back for a deep dive on it. I want to give you some broad parameters of how God delights in using women as well as men. I want to give these broad parameters to you this morning in hopes that you'll join us again tonight for this. Let's start here. God created all of us as his children. We are all his and because all of us are his, and even though there's definite differences between us, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And because all of us are one, children of God, then I want you to rejoice in that Jesus has called all of us the same. We are his. Here's the second thing I want you to take home. In God's wisdom, he has sent all of us as his ambassadors. Ambassadors, they're the people that go and represent us in foreign countries, don't they? Yeah, we send them to far-off places and we tell them, go and represent us as a society, as a people. Look after our interests and speak on our behalf. When we acknowledge that, then we put those people, we invest a lot of authority in them. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, 21, we are Christ's ambassadors. Because we are his ambassadors, a genderless term, we all carry the name of Christ. Could it be that God longs in to use women as well as men? Here's the third thing that I want you to go home with. In God's grace, he has gifted all of us for ministry service. Our calling to serve others is reflected in the frequent use of one another's throughout scripture. Love one another, serve one another, these elements come together to say God has gifted all of us. When I was growing up, there was a lady in my home church that as far as I know, she 
never held a title other than director of the WMU. But let me tell you, Miss Hazel, who stood about five foot nothing, weighed about a hundred nothing, when she spoke, people listened. If she said yes to something, then the church usually went that way. If she said no, there was no way it was going anywhere. That, friends, is an example of what I'm talking about. Could it be that God has gifted us each for ministry service, gifting all of us with the spiritual gifts, blessing us all with the opportunity to serve him and be his ambassadors because we are his children, called by God and gifted by Christ? Can I tell you today, my friends, he's gifted all of us for ministry service. Now, let's move to something a little more specific. Number four, under God's direction, men and women were created with unique and complementary roles. Now, these roles do not allow one or the other to dominate, but rather the work of Christ-centered unity is what is to dominate. These complementary roles lead us to a view that we call complementarianism. That's a fancy word that means God made us different but equal. God gave us roles that complement one another but they're not the same. Our roles complement one another. Neither is diminished, neither is inherently elevated. Each needs the other. There's an alternative view to this known as egalitarianism. I told you about this in our family meeting last month, but let's go through it again. That that view says all roles are equal, all people are equal, and we should afford everyone the same opportunities to serve in the same ways. We'll take this up a little deeper tonight, but for now, let's say that we believe, we believe that God in his wisdom has crafted certain roles for men and certain roles for women. The role that I have is for men. This is the word of the Lord, as I understand it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 leads me to that. At the same time, we have some wonderfully gifted ladies on our staff. You already know that. So I want you to understand that when we say we are complementarian in our view, it doesn't mean we look down on the ladies on our staff. When you pull us up on the website, you'll see they have the same title as all of the rest of our team, minister, and praise the Lord for them. This is a reflection on our view that these roles are complementary. Great God Almighty hasn't he been good in putting us together like that. At least I believe he has. These roles then, complementary as they are, reflect that. Now, let me tell you, friends, I've tried several times to give my job to lots of women and men. I've tried to give it to them, agreeing to continue preaching. They just do everything else. No one has taken me up on it yet because they've seen my job and they know better. But the complementary roles that we have reflect that God loves and wants each of us to serve him. Let us conclude with this. According to Scripture, church leadership roles reflect God's plan. As such, the role of senior pastor is uniquely intended for men. In my view, the rest of them are wide open. We'll talk more about this tonight. There are many, 
many who disagree with that, that interpretation. I respect them. If I were to call their names, then you would recognize some of them. We don't have time for that this morning. But let's be clear in saying this. How we read 2 Timothy, how we understand what the Word of God would say to us, I beg your pardon, 1 Timothy 2, not 2 Timothy, means that we understand God has gifted certain roles for certain individuals, just like Deborah and Jael, just like Barak, just like Paul and Timothy, just like Lydia. These people, their names are familiar to you. They are the ones that God has called and gifted, placing them in just the right place at just the right time. Today, my friends, today, I want you to embrace the reality that God's call on our lives frees us to serve him. Now, as best we know, after the incident in the tent, J.L., she doesn't find herself in a different position than she was before. We don't have recorded a parade in her honor. We don't have recorded that she received a medal. We don't have recorded that she was afforded any special or specific honor other than the song that is sung in chapter 5. But we do know that God used her just like he used Barak and just like he used Deborah. Now the attention shifts to you. I know we're over, so hang in there with me just a minute. This is important. I want to ask you, how is God using you? How is God using you? What is it that God would say into your heart if you were willing to listen to him? I want to encourage you today. I want to call you today to a point of decision. Are you, like Deborah, ready and willing because you're in the right place at the right time? Or are you still anchored to fear like Barak? Are you willing to step out and say, God, use me, even if I don't understand why? Or are you one who is content to sit back and let someone else do it? See, just because we're complementarian, just because we view the roles of our church leadership in a certain way doesn't take away the opportunity for service. Because this is much I know for sure. Each of us are Christ's ambassadors. At least those of us who are in Christ are. What about you? Are you in Christ? See, we have something on all of these we read about today, and that is Jesus has come. He's given us a new covenant. And that new covenant means that we have a new opportunity, and I want to invite you to it today. Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Maybe you're broken today. Maybe you've never invited Christ into your life. Maybe you have never said yes to his invitation. Well, today's your day, friend. I'll be waiting for you right down here. Come down and let's talk about it. Maybe you need to come to this altar, not necessarily to pray for yourself, but maybe to pray for someone else. We've had a lot of needs in our church in these last two weeks. I encourage you, recognize that God's call on you may be to something physical. What about you? You heard Wayne talk at the start of the service about our friend Heidi that's going to be baptized at the 11th service. What about you? Have you been baptized? 
It's the first step of Christian obedience. I want to encourage you to take that first step if you never have. Today is your day. How will you use it? Pray with me, won't you? So today is your day, Jesus. We proclaim that. We declare it. We lean into it. We don't take for granted that you've given it to us. Instead, Lord, we gratefully acknowledge the blessing that having another day is. I pray, Lord, for us to use it now. I pray for those who need to respond physically by coming down here either to pray at this altar or to make a decision with me or one of our staff. And I pray that today, this moment right here would be when you would move in our hearts, Lord, all of us, toward transformation. It's not just about what's easy or what's convenient. It's about what you're calling us to. Don't let our fear hang us up and miss the blessing. Barak may that mistake and we don't want to instead Lord we want to say yes to you will you do your work now Lord Jesus in each of our hearts will you declare your glory in each of our minds and will you help us to brush aside everything else do it now Lord send the wind of your spirit through this place we love you it's in Jesus name we pray amen